Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. We welcome our listeners to a new season of the podcast Sustainability Unwrapped. By the microphone is Anna. I work as a researcher at Hankin School of Economics. And our key theme for this podcast season is responsible organizing and how it can support building a more sustainable future. In each episode, we will invite experts to discuss topics such as social media bias, intersectional inequalities, or cross-collaboration for responsibility, and of course, much more. Today's episode will address different systems of social inequality, such as, for example, related to gender, social class, and marital status. We will investigate together how intersectional inequalities emerge and how to fight them together with our two guests, Ingrid Tanhua and Nema Koba. Hi, Ingrid and Nema. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Nice to be here. It's our pleasure to have you here and share your insights. Could you share a little bit more about your background and uh, how did you come across the topic of inequality? I should let Anchor start this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm a PhD researcher at Hanken and well, we both are, and um, we're working on this um, group of responsible organizing and where well, a topic with, uh, of inequality, I have worked for a long time, and it's also a topic of my PhD research, uh, which is about gender segregation and how it happens in education and and in occupations, like how do you choose your profession and why that is so, so gendered many times. Um, well, I have several hats. I have this, <laughs> this first hat is PhD researcher, but then I also have my own research company. And there I do research work and development work, which is perhaps more practical and not purely academic. Very interesting how you combine the research side and then the practical one. What about you, Nema? Well, I'm a doctoral student in entrepreneurship, so completely different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than, um, studying gender, but I am part of the responsible organizing group, which is quite interdisciplinary. So um, it was kind of, you know, a really good opportunity for me to work with uh, with inquiry on mm -hmm. this topic. Um, I've written about inequality in poetry. So. <laughs> not academic research at all um wow. yeah so um, it was i felt like a really good opportunity to to be a part of the of the book and a mm -hmm. part of the of the chapter yeah yes and i completely forgot to say that at hanken i'm in the department of organization and management <laughs> so <laughs> that might be relevant information too. yeah and i'm coming from supply chain management the social responsibility yes. so we do have a very diverse uh, backgrounds here yeah. in the studio. Amazing. Well, it, we are excited to have you in the studio and uh, share our different views on the topic from different perspectives, of course. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about social inequalities are perhaps gender and existing power relations. 
What does inequality mean to you, also considering that you do to have different perspectives on this subject? And why our listeners need to learn about the perspective on inequality and how it changes uh, if we add the intersectionality? That's something that comes from the book. So maybe you want to explain more about that. Yes, many questions. Yes, at once. <laughs> I, I start with, with what, what is inequality. Uh, so shortly, it means that one group of people is disadvantaged and the other one, mm -hmm. other group is has privileges. And those can be based, for instance, on gender or other social categorization. And that's actually when where intersectionality comes in. Intersectionality mm -hmm. means that we always think... Uh, uh, like at least two categorizations at the same time. So it's not just gender, but for instance, uh, gender and ethnicity or gender and class that we think at the same time. And then because intersectional theory has its roots uh, in, in the U.S. and in the experiences of uh, black women in the U.S., uh, it means that usually when we talk about intersectionality, we think about race and ethnicity in addition to gender or colonialism mm -hmm. in the case of our book chapter. So it's usually in there. Although sometimes I can I see Nordic writings where intersectionally it is about something else. It might be gender and sexual orientation. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, well, okay, maybe you can define it that way too. But Yeah, I understand. And um, I am myself an immigrant woman in Finland. I did my journey to uh, like immigrating from my own home country to Finland. And uh, I wouldn't say I experienced many inequality in many ways, but mm -hmm. still I felt like it's a bit chasing me in mm -hmm. my experience here um, as an immigrant woman in that sense. So I understand that it is about different categories, being a woman and then being immigrant woman, which is a bit of different social status. Mm -hmm. um, well, of course, when I was reading a chapter, I was reflecting on my own experience. But now I wanted you to tell me a bit more about the study that you did about the labor behind the coffee that we all drink and the intersectional inequalities experienced by Walker on the coffee farm. Well, so uh, I can I can tell you a little bit about that. I'm from Tanzania originally, right? And from the region where we grow coffee, but all my growing up, we never actually drank coffee. So I saw like, for example, my uncles and whoever is in the farm, my uncles and aunts, they farm, but then that coffee is being sold completely. You <laughs> never to, drink. To, I don't really <laughs> drink coffee, but uh, that's a long story. <laughs> That's yeah. interesting to but know. It's, it's not a very popular drink uh, as, as well. Most people can't even afford to buy the coffee that they farm themselves. Um, so I think it was quite intriguing in that way to think, oh my God, then you come to Finland, everybody drinks, well, not everybody, <laughs> but a lot of people yes. drink a lot of coffee. And so that was quite an interesting thing to think of something so everyday and so mundane that comes from so far away <laughs> as well. Um yeah, but then in this whole process, we found a really interesting um, story, actually. it's It happens over and over. Like some women, when they get separated from their spouse, um, they uproot coffee plants or something like that. And on the surface, it would seem like, oh, this is just anger. But then one story was even more intriguing, that a woman actually stole um, coffee from her family farm, her husband's mm. farm. And she... In the in the interviews from this one researcher that had done this historiography of coffee, she had said that 
I stole my husband's coffee. So she mm. works in this farm, mm -hmm. but somehow she doesn't even have or feel like she has ownership of this. And mm -hmm. so that was very intriguing. And so me and Ingrid decided to sort of work around that as a case uh, to see how this in intersectional inequalities really work um, within mm -hmm. coffee production. Yeah, and it's interesting because you would think that, okay, don't you own things together with your husband? Like, how can you even steal Mm -hmm. from your husband but this is how the person was also uh, wording it so yeah i think yeah. this story could be a good one for a novel you could write a book <laughs> about it <laughs> i think it's interesting that uh you don't drink coffee and and that was like uh like what you told about uh tanzanian culture that it's mostly tea drinkers except the Zanzibar islands where they uh drink more coffee mm. so yeah, could you tell more about that? Like, <laughs> why we don't drink coffee? <laughs> yeah, or, or, I mean, or the tea culture, or yeah. Well, I don't know if it's 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 uh, it's. I don't know if I have the actual history. I, maybe it's British colonialism. Actually, yeah, yeah, that, that explains yeah, that, the that tea. explains the tea culture. Um, but no, I think how people grow coffee is primarily for like um, export. Mm -hmm. So. I think 90 something percent of the coffee, 95 maybe percent of the coffee that is produced is actually all exported. 95. Yes. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, because um, it, you have to sort of think about history that coffee was introduced during colonialism. Uh, so, um, for the sole purpose of sending it at first was to Germany. And then, you know, later when the British took mm -hmm. over, I guess. It came to somewhere else, but and so that's the history of it. Like you were planting it solely for that, and in that some sort of like also like the legacy of it. Why even men are more involved? So the colonial legacy comes from there that they bring men into like learning how to do the coffee and stuff like that, and completely exclude women because patriarchy and colonialism are so tight <laughs> in some mm -hmm. level. Uh, so, and that's historically how women got excluded from the coffee. Forget just like the how they don't get the farms, but the history of it comes from there as well. So yeah, first you grow to send it somewhere else. And second, there were only men that were allowed to actually grow the coffee. Uh, and women's labor was expected, of course, but it was all like the tedious labor that they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, the sort of less intellectual in the in the process, the more uh, the more difficult labor was assigned to to women in that way. Um, and I think, as with any other like cash crop, mm -hmm. um, the power relations revolve around the resource that is money, right? So mm. if, for example, it was carrots, because I know there was a region where they used to actually grow coffee mm -hmm. and then they had a disease. And then after that disease, all the coffee was nowhere. So men lost their power. Mm. Women's crops that were like carrots and peas or some horticultural produce, they were now bringing money. Guess what happened? Men started like controlling that part because now the resource and the power was in this crop so it's mm -hmm. not really about the actual cash the the nature mm -hmm. of the crop it's whatever crop that brings in cash whatever resource and that's where the power kind of revolves around um mm. so yeah there's that yeah 
Yeah. That brings us yeah. to the point that it's not, it's more than coffee. It's not yeah. only about that yeah. one particular, it's a bigger It's a bigger question. Question, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah, it can be carrots. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, I wonder, like, what do societies do in order to fight inequalities? And uh, of course, we speak about our perspective in the global north and uh, how it is ending in the global south where the coffee is actually produced and uh, farmed. Well, as, as Nema was saying, it's uh, with coffee, it's uh, produced in certain areas where coffee grows, uh, but then it's consumed in other areas. And of course, not everybody in the North drinks coffee or can afford to drink coffee. And yes, some of it is consumed in the South as well. But most of it, if you look, it's uh, produced in the South, but consumed in the North. Yeah. So. Um, if you think about um, if you think about the coffee production process, at least in Tanzania, um, the process of farming coffee, you have a farm, right? But how do you get that farm? Um, it's usually passed down from through inheritance. So it's not like you go and buy a farm. Most mm -hmm. people own farms mm -hmm. because they're passed down from inheritance. Um, legally, anyone can own land. But practically, most people get their farms from their fathers passed down to them. But the customary law and the systems there, it is so that women don't actually get the land. Because it's quite funny if you think your parents think, well, you get married, so you want, you know, be our child or whatever. I don't know if it's still be our child, but it's like you will get married. So our land ownership must remain in our family. You will join a different family. And the family that you marry into, they say, well, you're from another family. You don't really belong here. So most married women actually don't get to own land that if they if they want to, they can buy it. But then that's a mm -hmm. question of resources. And already that gives a gap. If I am starting my farm, first I have to amass the resources to buy the farm so I can plant mm -hmm. the coffee, which, say, my brother would get for free uh, from just passed down. So these kind of family traditions and customary laws, they they make it very complicated for women to actually own stuff. And that's yeah, why it is. that's why they, that's why he said she said I stole my husband's coffee because mm -hmm. practically she doesn't own the coffee. And if that marriage ends, she lives with nothing. But the interesting fact is, women's labor in coffee production is very 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 important and very relevant because it's all family labor most of the coffee owned, coffee farmers are smallholder farmers mm -hmm. so family labor is really key they don't have a lot of workers so it's a it's a very it's a very you know complicated system in in, in so many ways because even if you say enforce uh, certain laws like you have to employ equal labor or whatever but at family level how do you enforce that law if it's completely like patriarchal from the very beginning. Exactly. So, yeah. um, exactly. Yeah I, that's, yeah. Yeah. I do understand. Like informal as well, because exactly. it's not like you don't have a contract for work, but it's the, it's family business. Exactly. Yeah, it's internally in the family. Yeah. 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 So yeah. If you have to write a contract with your husband, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am going to work. <laughs> in our family, we do it <laughs> in this way. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I can relate this uh, to actually like not only Tanzania, but people working, for example, in Finland, they are family businesses. And I really wonder how they manage the relationship. I think it might be in the corporate 
culture like when the family business grows but then when it's a small very small enterprise just between you and me and we are in a partner relationship for example then how you manage personal part with the professional part that's uh, another mm. question of yeah. course but coming back to the uh, sustainable coffee production um, now it comes to my mind that uh, there are those fair trade certifications and uh, Many consumers actually rely on them and their choices of the brands that they would like to buy and then drink coffee <laughs> of those brands. And uh, it, um, the certifications, they give us a sense of I do good or I choose the right brand, the right production system behind that, uh, including societal aspects and then also, of course, environmental. And uh, we focus a bit more on the society and inequalities in this discussion. And in reality, can we actually feel safe about using this kind of certifications in our decision making? What would be your advice or maybe, yeah, just kind of for our listeners to take away from this discussion? Well, this is a very tough question. I think there's a really big debate about sustainability certifications overall, mm -hmm. not just like with mm -hmm. regards to coffee or food production, but with regards to many, many, many issues of sustainability. Um, there are certifications out there that often ensure that at least minimum requirements mm -hmm. of sustainability are being met. But as to whether they're always useful, I think it's a question of um, of understanding what they actually measure because oftentimes you do get what you measure. Mm -hmm. So um, is is this concerning itself with, say, all the issues of sustainability or just some? And that's also a whole other question. Um, uh, so with regards, for example, to fair trade, they may have different aspects of sustainability that they're looking into, but there is um, some things that they're probably not addressing properly because actually they can't address them because it's a societal issue, not something mm -hmm. that a certification itself can fix. So how do you sort of go into, I don't know, mm -hmm. fixing society? How do you go in a family and yeah, fix how, the exactly, things within there? If, yeah. you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're talking about gender, gender relations within a family and not just within any family, within like a marriage kind of relationship, uh, how, how, do you, how does a certification address that kind of like underlying aspects. A lot of the inequalities that Inkri was talking about, the mm -hmm. intersectional inequalities, they have roots in history. How do you reorganize traditions, and, traditions yeah. and patriarchy through, for example, a certification. Mm, a certificate. <laughs> so I think that I think it's it's bigger than that. So yeah. in on one level they help. So to not have them at all would be maybe terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but then on the other hand they they don't fix the, all the issues or the underlying issues. So I think mm -hmm. a bigger conversation is needed. More stakeholders are needed. Um, so yeah, you need people from legal probably mm -hmm. to, to address some of the legal issues that are contradictory. For example, you need you need you need mm -hmm. multiple stakeholders to actually look at this. Exactly. You need education probably. There's a lot that yeah. would go into into this, and I think that's the purpose of this chapter, or if even the book as well, to look at to to look in depth about what kind of you know inequalities sort of exist and how can we achieve this as a society how can we organize better and sometimes it does start at family level yeah yes and we discussed a lot when we were writing a chapter and we were we had this in uh instructions that we could 
give some solutions and it was really <laughs> difficult because there is no easy solution exactly. so certificates <laughs> of course they can be good but then um well they, they don't guarantee everything and um, uh, well also some people may not afford to get the certificates and not everything that is not certificated is bad necessarily yeah. yes. and Which then there might create more like a power but yes really yeah. exactly yeah. yeah and then other solutions are definitely needed as well as Nema was saying so yeah yeah really yeah. good point yeah. well we discussed education of women in general then also agricultural education um well of both women and men yeah yeah, we did discuss. There are some 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 projects that are trying to create a more balanced, uh, maybe mm. family relations with regards to coffee. So, um, you know, talking about the importance of working together as a family and sharing, because working together mm. has always been done. The problem had always been the sharing of the <laughs> benefits of working together. Uh, some groups were excluded from that, but yeah. So I think it's 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 bigger than coffee in that sense because this is. Mm. In, in so many different different uh, uh, different products, different production, maybe modes, uh, but it's also bigger than Tanzania, bigger than a village in Tanzania that we're addressing. It's something that is cross cutting. It's in so many different countries. So uh, mm. maybe that's that's the key there to really look into uh, our systems uh, of organizing. You know family business as you talked about mm -hmm. organizing you know our farms and all the well, how are they perpetrating some you know inequalities that are already there uh, or how are they making them worse <laughs> in yeah. some level so yeah um, mm -hmm. there's a lot to think about in that regards yeah i absolutely love it how you put it it's bigger than that like bigger than coffee bigger than tanzania village in tanzania so indeed i i definitely agree with that well that was already one takeaway and I, I really take it to my heart. But what is the other personal takeaways you have made throughout your journey, like throughout the study and writing the book maybe? And maybe something that our listeners can also uh, take for them? Uh, I think I would start uh, maybe looking at things that are nearby you. So maybe think about inequalities at your workplace or something that you could do better. Uh, like, for instance, uh, how, how can you be more inclusive? Like we have uh, new staff members, new PhD students coming so that I try to think that I don't only hang out with my friends, but <laughs> get to know them as well. And, uh, and the, the same can be done with your neighbors and in, in all different, um, different contexts. Yeah. So think about it. The, the inequalities that are near you. So I think that's one really important thing. Then there's this thing about you as a consumer and your role as a consumer and what you can do, uh, which is important, but also can be very stressful. And so I wouldn't stress about it that much because when you're in the supermarket and you have to get many products and your child is crying and <laughs> the print in the, in the box is too small and you can't see it and it's difficult to make perfect choices so I would limit the amount of stressing about that but of course it's sometimes good to stop and think about yeah like 
yeah to think about your role as a consumer as well but but not all the time because that can be very stressful exactly well i feel that there is a space for the retail retailers and the coffee brands to make our choice making process a bit easier by giving us maybe better navigation so we might leave them uh, with that thought <laughs> as a takeaway from this discussion of course yeah for sure and and then also i think uh, we have discussed now a lot of uh, about coffee produce production and tanzania but uh, as you said we can relate to these things and uh, if we think about farming in finland there's also um it's patriarchal inheritance very often as well and farms are traditionally passed on to uh, men and or sons and not daughters so it's not completely unfamiliar in, in fact it's the mm-hmm. other way around that it's very easy to find examples that are rather similar so finding similarities but then also not assuming that everything is completely similar so the context matters but the context matters yeah yeah, yeah but but still it's not yeah it's not completely different either so mm-hmm. Well, for me, I think what I learned is more to have more empathy for people mm. who are expressing that they face inequality. Um, I think there's always a tendency to think, well, you know, just because you might face inequality in one way, but you think, oh, everybody is the same or something. So, mm. but maybe we all have in some level some privileges. And in some level, some face some inequalities. But how, if we listen to other people, um, it's it's more important. There's no representation basically <laughs> of 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 someone who is like uh, this person has. It's 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 like it's it's a bit more complex than that. So um, um, especially when I hear uh, in the media, for example, if someone is saying I'm facing uh, and on discrimination because of my say. Uh, gender or sexual orientation, I can't get a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's even religion. Some people are facing that. Uh, so it, it's important to not assume that your experiences are the same as other people's experiences. But I think the first step is even fixing anything is to just listen. Okay, so what is the problem? And then maybe mm-hmm. we can get to the root of it. Uh, we have a long way as society to go, but I think by listening to each other and learning from each other's experiences, I think it's it's we might get a step closer to actually organizing society a little bit better for everyone yeah 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 this takeaway can be taken across different industries because i feel like if we do have more empathy then we are more likely to be open-hearted to the Mm -hmm. to listen more as you said and actually get to the root of the problem so i find it already like a step towards better organizing with more empathy and being up to the real problem that we are trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for sharing this insights. At least uh, I feel like I very inspired about uh, listening to them and trying to implement them. I like the insight about uh, looking for inequalities or just looking around you in your close circle. Mm. Uh, so it's something that uh, you can start doing from day one, just starting after you listen to this episode, actually look around yourself. Like how are the people, community around you feeling of being equal or not? Mm. Well, this drives us to the very end and conclusion of our discussion. Thank you very much for being here and sharing your insights. What I take from myself from this discussion is that uh, 
uh, with every morning cup of coffee, I will try to remind myself carefully of uh, social categorization and power relations. And of course, checking with myself about my personal attitude and choices I make and kind of scan the environment as Ingrid, you advised for uh, how people around me feel about being included, uh, being equal. Uh, well, I don't think uh, that uh, not seeing any or ignoring these challenges is actually the way forward. So we do want to listen, as uh, Nema said, and we want to uh, have empathy towards uh, inequality problems. And I think that might be the way to go forward towards more sustainable outcomes in relation to solving this sustainability challenge. Well, by the microphone was Anna your host for this session today and uh, we hope you stay tuned for our next episodes of sustainability unwrapped thank you everyone thank you thank you anna, thank you, anna.